0: Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Paul is is asking if if we start in um, Ephesians 3.14, as usual, Paul refers right back to something he's already said. He said, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he, he, he makes reference immediately to, I want to pray this because of what I've always already said and that, you know, he started out chapter 3 with, for this reason. So it's, he's constantly building, and we see that here. He's constantly building on what he's already told us. And the reason here in particular, I think, are at least in this chapter, and, and it's dangerous to use the restrictions of the chapter breaks because Paul didn't write in chapters. But since chapter 3 is broken in his writing with the phrase, for this reason, I, Paul, it's, it, it, it's at least plausible that in verse 14 he's talking about the reasoning for what he said from verse 1. And the primary things there that I see is that he, he brought out in those first seven verses about the mystery which, if you remember, the, the mystery is the mystery of the church. It did the church did not appear in the Old Testament. It was a secret hidden in God. Um, you look at all of the Old Testament prophecies about the the um, towards the Messiah, and all of them deal with the first coming and the second coming with no break in between them. But he gives us the reason that he had this and God had this in his mind. And and the the great thing is you can see, in fact, uh, Paul said in Corinthians, had had the enemy known what was going to happen, he never would have crucified the Lord of glory. And if you think about it just from a rational, and I realize the devil's not, well, he, in some ways he is very rational. Um, he's just crazy and sinful and evil. But if you think about it, he had Jesus, one man on the planet that he had to deal with. Now, there were multiple purposes that he had and multiple motivations that he had for trying to destroy and kill Jesus. Primarily, he recognized Jesus as the incarnate second person of the Godhead. All of the demons and, and demonized people that Jesus met, they, all of the demons had the same reaction when they met Jesus, and that was, have you come to torment us before the time? And so they recognized that this man was different from all other men. But his, Satan's main motivation, and this all goes back to uh, Isaiah chapter 14, where, where Satan, when he was Lucifer, his original sin was in saying, I'm going to take my throne and exalt it above your throne. Now, if he can in any way cause anything that God says, I'm going to do, x y and z if satan can prevent x y, x y or z from happening then he's just proved that he's greater than god and he just exalted his throne in practical terms above god's throne so his his main motivation was to get rid of jesus and kill him because all he's seen is one advent he's seeing jesus coming in the the Messiah is here. He's going to uh bring in this everlasting, well, bring in the millennial reign, essentially, which will lead to the eternities of eternities. And it's it's the culminating act of God saying, I am going to finally consummate my word to you from Genesis 3, where I told you, there's one coming from the seed of woman. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. That's all he said. I've got to keep him from crushing my head, which basically means I'm going to to destroy all of your authority. It, because the devil never ceases to exist. When 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 Jesus, when this is all over, and they put uh, the Satan and the false prophet and the beast, all in the lake of fire, Satan will continue to exist. He's just going to be confined in that area of torment. So crushing his head in Genesis 3 does not mean that he will cease to exist. It just means I'm breaking all of your power, taking all of your authority, and I take back control of planet Earth. But what Satan didn't count on was on that when when Jesus resurrected, first of all he never counted on the resurrection. He counted on keeping Jesus confined in death. If he could do that, he's got he's got God confined, and he wins. So when Jesus came and, and I know or at least I, I, I say I know, this is how I envision it. He saw Jesus become sin, and in in Satan's, I think in Satan's reckoning, he thought, if he can die, if I can, can motivate the Jews and the Romans to kill this guy on the cross, if I can bring death to him, and I see the spiritual side of him become sin, he's done something wrong. He has sinned. And now I've got him because I'm the Lord of sin and the Lord of sinners. So I've got him. What he didn't realize was that Jesus became sin with our sin, the sin of humanity. And suddenly when that, the price was paid for that sin, then Jesus could reexert his righteousness because he truly was righteous even when he became sin. At his core he was still righteous. Now, I don't. That that is an obvious paradox, and I recognize it as a paradox. don't know how you can become sin and stay righteous, but he had no sin of his own, so he could not have lost his own righteousness. And that's one I don't want to think on too long because, I'll be honest with you, I just get a headache when I try to think through thing, paradoxes like that. But when Jesus finished paying the price for our sin, Then his righteousness could re-exert itself. He conquered hell. He crushed Satan's head. He took all of his authority, took power over death and hell, broke down the gates of hell. He says, now I control it. He said, the the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. But then the amazing thing was, and I know Satan anticipated, well, now the millennial reign is going to come in. And he's going to live on earth for a thousand years, and he's going to complete all of the promises that he made to Abraham, because God made several unconditional promises in particular the the covenant where he said this is the land that you will own they have never been fulfilled it's one of the reasons we have to have a millennial reign because that's where god comes in and says okay these things that i promised back here i'm going to fulfill all of them now instead of having the millennial reign jesus bodily goes back to heaven and I know the disciples were puzzled. We see that in Acts chapter 1 and 2. They say, wait, Lord, what, what about your kingdom? And he says, guys, go to Jerusalem, sit, wait, the Holy Spirit's coming. And I, I, I have to imagine that Satan was sitting back saying, what? Wait a minute. What, what are you talking about? I thought, and he's ready for the millennial reign too. Instead, the Holy Spirit comes, and now instead of having one man who was always righteous because he was, he was born sinless from a virgin, the second person of the Godhead dwelling in a body, but also with a human spirit, instead of having just one of them, suddenly he's got thousands of these little Christs or these little Christ, these Christians and that's what Christians means, is the little Christ. That suddenly, he's got people that uh, have been made righteous. They're seated in heavenly places with Christ, and they're full of the Holy Spirit. And now he's got people running all over the earth, preaching the word with an, with an anointing to uh, lay hands on the sick and see miracles happen. And God is confirming God's word through these saints and this thing is growing exponentially to the point that today you have to remember in the time of jesus 30 40 bc or ad i don't know i've seen estimates i think they estimate that that the population of the world the entire world was 20 to 40 million people 20 to 40 million. We've got 400 oh, between three and 400 million people just in the United States today. We've got seven and a half billion people on the planet. If you even conservatively say, well, you know, one seventh of them are born again, that's a billion little Christs out in the world. I I don't know that Satan has enough. Uh, personnel available to, to deal with that many Christians. So he has this huge headache on his hands. And, and that's what, and when you get to um, verse 10, part of what Paul says, for this reason, I pray for you, I bow my knees. The part of the reason is that, that the intent of God is in bringing the church in, bringing reborn, sanctified, righteous people that are filled with the Holy Spirit and given his word was that now we can make the manifest wisdom of God known to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. But that requires something out of us so paul he said this in 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 um also in colossians i love colossians 1 9 this is a um this is a verse that i pray for myself and pray over people more than any other verse i've ever prayed colossians 1 9 says for this reason we also since the day we heard of it what he heard of was their faith and their love that they're demonstrated in the church in Colossae. Do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord. That is the whole point. Paul Paul heard of this Colossian church and he heard these people are walking in faith and they're walking in love essentially that's pretty much it that's god that that's what god has called us to do and when paul heard of that his thought wasn't all right they got it together good job i'm going on to people who need me no then he hit his knees that's when he started praying when he saw him walking out god's will and and um i i I came across today um i was studying out something and i I saw reference to Rich Mullins, and I knew who Rich Mullins was, but then again, it's like, wait a minute, what do I, what do I remember about him? And he was a songwriter. He was killed back in the late 90s. And I, but I looked up and was listening to some of his music, but I came across a letter. Somebody, uh, um, he was a student who was interested in writing music, and he wrote Rich Mullins a letter, and Rich Mullins wrote a letter back to him. And I'm not going to go through the whole letter, but I thought this was interesting. This is why I printed it. In, in the middle of giving him advice on how to be a songwriter and, and get into the music business, he he told him two things. First of all, he said, if Jerusalem is your desire, Nashville will just be a layover because Nashville was the head of Christian music at that time. But more importantly, he said um, he would summarize Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus in one way, and that's be faithful. And that just really struck me, you know. As Christians, and this is, this goes back to Paul's prayer for us, he's going to pray this prayer in Ephesians 3.14. He's going to start it, and he's praying it here in Colossians 1.9. The ultimate aim for all Christian leaders, for all Christians, has to be those two simple words. Be faithful. Now, do we always do that? I just sent a text message to someone and um, they're struggling. They've had, some, they've had some tremendous problems in their life. Death of someone close to them, uh, estranged family members, and they are pretty much, naturally speaking, they're standing alone. And, I, I, and, and all of the things that I was communi- trying to communicate with them I said, look, Jesus has never called us to live the perfect life. But what he has called us to do is when we when we either fall down or just sit down because we're too exhausted to go on, we need to remember at some point we got to get back up and just put one foot in front of the other. I've had people ask me, you know, people that know my testimony, know my life, you know, right before Gina and I met, You know, I had had in the the year previous, you know, in in 1972, well, in 1969, my brother was killed. My first grandmother, who I was very close to, died in 68. Then my brother was killed in the war. And then my other grandmother died. Well, then my daughter died. Then my grandmother died. And then my second daughter died. Then my mother died of cancer, and then my wife walked out on me and took pretty much everything I had but a couple of chairs. And I'm sitting there in my, my house, and I'm, I'm, I'm done. I quit. I'm, I'm suicidal. I'm not, I'm not just feeling sorry for myself. I just want it over with. I want the pain gone. I don't want to do anything else. And God came in and spoke to me and said, if you'll just hang on, I will things will get better and then even more importantly than that he gave me hope now i was ready to quit primarily i was ready to quit because people had told me god was doing all these terrible things in my life because i was walking in sin which i look back on it if i'd have had any spiritual sense i would have known it was a lie and if anybody around me had any spiritual sense they would have just clobbered these people and said, shut up, you're a liar. This is the devil doing all this. And then I could have turned my guns on the right target. But that's what Paul is praying for us. Our job is to make known the wisdom of God to the principalities and powers in the air so that, and we do that by witnessing God's greatness to people. And he's called us to be faithful to that call, whatever part of that that overall ministry that he has in mind is our part. And, and none of us has a very big part because it's a big job and there are a lot of us and we all have our own little part. Now, when we fall down or when we sit down because we're exhausted, there is a time when you just have to say, I'm getting back up. That's when we come in. That's the reason Paul is praying for these people because he knows they're going to have times when they just want to quit. They're done. They're tired. It's too hard. Well, of course it's too hard. I had a pastor one time said, the Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. And he's right. That's why we have to have the anointing of God to live it. We can't live it in our own strength. That's why Paul, I said all that, to say this, that's why Paul sat here in four, verse 14 of Ephesians three. For this reason, I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That tells me there are, the family of God is split. I've said this before, there's the body of Christ there's the church, and then there's the family of God. The body of Christ is the Christians on the earth today. People that are saved living on the planet, we are the body of Christ. We're his hands, we're his mouthpiece. There is the church, which is every person who has existed from when Jesus resurrected and got born again from that point on to every person who will get born again and go up in the rapture, all of us collectively are the church. But then there's the family who are all of the Old Testament saints that aren't part of the church, but they were still believers. The church, everybody that's going to be born again from Jesus' resurrection to the rapture, and then all of the people that are going to get saved during the tribulation period Which, who knows, that may be um, the biggest number of all. I don't know, it'll be difficult to overcome the church because it's a 2000 2,000 year period where the tribulation is just seven years. But all of those make up the family. But all of us have one thing in common. Our name came from the Father. The father said, these are my kids. Now, what did he pray? Verse 16, that he, meaning the father, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Let me read verse 16 from the the Mounts translation. He said, well, let me back up to verse 14 and read it with Mounts. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name." Verse 16, "...in order that according to the riches of His glory." That word riches there is the Greek word plutos, which where we get our word plutocrat. It means somebody that is absolutely ridiculously, beyond comparison, rich. I read a little blurb today about uh, this—the richest man to have ever lived anywhere on the planet—and he was a some viceroy in India, and he earned the equivalent of fifteen thousand pounds a day from his kingdom. Now. If you had in the bank just the income off of 15,000 pounds, you could live an upper-class cl- upper lifestyle in Great Britain at the time this guy lived on 15,000 pounds, just invested in the bank, earning 2 or 3%. You could live a better-than-average income. And he's earning 15,000 pounds per day. He had enough diamonds... To fill up, they estimated, two to three Olympic-sized swimming pools, just his diamonds. That's not counting his gold and all of the other riches he had. At his height, they estimated that he um, had the wealth, 2% of the the current income earned in the entire United States. That's a lot. I mean, that, that makes... By today's estimate, if you adjust it for inflation, they figured that at his peak, his wealth was somewhere around 30 to 40 billion dollars. There are countries that don't have that kind of wealth. That's the kind of wealth Plutus means. I mean, you are so ridiculously wealthy that. He just he had 6000 people employed in his homes just to clean his chandeliers. 6000 people just to clean the lights in his houses. That's incredible. That's what God is offering us. It's that those kind of riches and they're all tied to his glory. But notice that riches of his glory is for a purpose that he might grant us each of us to be strengthened with his power that strengthened is um krateo i think that's how you pronounce it and the power is dunamis this strengthened means to have the ability to use the power i get the picture Coming in here tonight, I, I um, was running alongside a semi that had a low boy on it. And they had one of these uh, quarry high lifts on it. I mean, the tires on this thing were like 20 feet tall. And it has a, a bucket because they, they don't run on roads. They run on in, in big quarries. The bucket on this thing, you could put my entire car in the bucket This thing just scoops out huge, huge amounts of rock or coal or wherever it it goes in a quarry to move move the material. The man who runs that, in fact, you don't even have to be a man. You know, back in the day, I'm talking about 30s and 40s, if you drove an eighteen-wheeler the steering wheels on those things were like three and a half feet in diameter they were huge and you still had to be a very strong man to drive one of those you did not put a person of low strength you did not see women truck drivers back then simply because there were almost no women that had the upper body strength to steer the thing around where they needed to go today some of the best truck drivers we have are women that are, you know, five foot one and weigh 90 pounds, can hardly lift, you know, their groceries out of the cart to get them in their car. But because of power steering, because of all of the power they have, they can drive these huge vehicles. They could have driven that high lift. That is what Paul's talking about here the strengthened with the power the high lift is the power the strengthened is all of the the, the hydraulics that means you f- push a little switch and this thing moves huge unimaginable loads that no human being could ever lift that's what God's glory does and it's, it's all empowered through his spirit in our inner being in our inner man God we, we don't look impressive on the outside at all. I mean, let's face it, some of the, I, I listened on the way in here, I have J. Vernon McGee on my um, iTunes, and I, I listen to him quite frequently. Um, my wife, she just can't, we have, used to when he was still on the radio, he may be on the radio today. I don't know, but if he would come on, she'd say, "Can you please turn that some, turn that on to something else?" His voice just goes through me like, you know, fingernails on a chalkboard. I love his voice. It just there's something about it that it's like if this guy can preach with the anointing, he preaches. There's hope for even a loser like me, because he had he just he's not a dynamic deep-throated I've, I've heard men get up and preach and I mean I would I just go I don't care what they're saying I just want to listen to them talk they're great speakers now that's what the world's looking for you go to some of these political conventions you will see politicians that are great orators I don't have anything worth hearing but they know how to speak that's what God is saying. I don't care what your outside looks like. I don't care if you are just butt ugly. I don't care if, if you have the squeakiest, you know, most horrific voice. What I care about is you gaining my power on your inside so that you can exercise your faith in my ability, my dunamis, so that you can pull the spiritual levers when I tell you to, when I give you a revelation that I want you to believe for this out of my word, you know how to exercise your faith and see huge loads that you just don't have the ability to do. The large tasks, specifically what Paul said in verse 10, that you can make known to the principalities and powers of the air what God's will is and see them backed off. You can take an angel, a fallen angel, that has great strength and look him in the eye and say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. And they just have to, they flee in terror. That's like me walking up to a, a lowland my, mountain gorilla who could grab my, my arms at, you know, at the upper shoulders and give a good tug and just rip my, my arms off my body and not even strain. And I can look at it and say, no, you're not going to do that. And it flees in absolute terror, shrieks, because I've got so much power. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Now notice, even more important than that, he wants us to be filled with all of that power in our inner man. Verse 17, that Christ may... There we go. That, that, that's a possibility. It's not an absolute fact. He said that Christ may or might dwell in your hearts through faith, rooted and grounded in love. Now, he, Paul is writing this to a group of Christians, so he's not talking here about the new birth. These people already have, and this for me is, is it answers the question about the second work of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, I know people get all bent out of shape. They're terrified of tongues because they don't understand it. They're terrified of, of you know, losing emotional control. But there is a, a deeper work than just getting born again. Just getting born again and sitting down on the sidelines and waiting to die and go to heaven is a total waste of resources. God has given us, in fact, if you look at the parable of the talents, um, God rewarded the, the, the men that he gave five and ten talents to because they took their talent out and put them to work. The guy that only had one talent, he didn't put it to work. He didn't even put it in the bank. He buried it. He hid it. And then when Jesus, when, when the master returned, he dug it up and tried to give it back. He wasn't interested in having that talent. To me, that's a picture of somebody being presented with the gospel and rejecting the gospel. And God says, I'm taking what, what little you have. I'm taking your insight away. These people are born again. And God's saying, look, I don't want you just to be in the family. I want you to grow up. I want you to, I want Christ to dwell in your heart and be rooted and grounded in love. With all the hurricanes and the storms that have gone through, I, I've watched a couple of, of um, videos on YouTube where people in the midst of the storm, one lady was, was filming out of the back of her house and the wind was blowing, but it wasn't huge. But she, she was filming this tree in her backyard, and it when it finally did root wad, it took out most of her backyard. But she, she was, had a running commentary, and I think it was her poor husband that was listening to this. I'm telling you, that tree's coming out of the ground. That tree's coming out. I've told you before we needed to get rid of that tree. That tree is not going to stand up. And then you could see it pulled up and laid over on their fence and laid, went over into the neighbor's yard. But you could see the roots on that tree only went about a foot or two deep. They were wide, but they didn't go deep. That's what Paul's saying here. I want you to be strengthened with the power of his might through his spirit in your inner man so that Christ can dwell, actively live in your heart, not just know that I'm born again, not just, you know, do a few things right, but dwell in their heart through your faith. And that faith can root you and ground you in love. Exactly what we saw when we read over there in, in Colossians 1, 9, that Paul well let me go back over there verse 4 of Colossians 1 says since we heard of your faith in Christ and your love for all the saints those are the two things that God is looking for he's looking in faith towards him and love to your brothers that's being faithful that will root you and ground you in his love and then notice that's not the, the only purpose, even there. He goes on in verse 18. In order that you may be empowered, another word, different Greek word for strengthened, empowered to grasp with all of the saints. This is not something that is exclusive just to quote unquote super Christians. Because I've heard people say, You're a preacher. You study this stuff. Of course you can do that. No. I, I've said it a gazillion times, and I'll say it a gazillion more times. I do have an anointing to preach and to teach, but I have no special anointing to live the word. I have to live it just like every other Christian does, by faith in Christ. And I'll tell you, there are days when I just I don't even want to crawl out of bed hardly. There are days when I'm tired and I just want to sit down and I just want to quit. I want to get out of the ministry. I want to go somewhere, go and move into a retirement home and just watch TV, go to church somewhere, pay my tithe and be finished. Not have to deal with people, not have to deal with problems, not have to deal with the devil, not have to deal with all of the issues of life. Now, the fallacy in that thinking is wherever I go, as the great philosopher Pogo used to say, wherever I go, there I am. And I've taken all of my issues with me, and I still have to deal with them by faith. Even if, I, even if you step out of the ministry, you don't maybe not deal with other people's issues, but you still got to deal with your issues, and you still have to live by faith. And if you're going to live by faith for your own life, then you're empowered to reach out and help others. And if you're, if you're truly living to please him, you're going to, walking in love f- with all of the saints, you're going to reach out and help and counsel and do the work of the ministry. In fact, Paul will say that when we get over into um, chapter 4. He's going to say that, you know, he's given these five full ministry gifts, pastor, teacher, evangelist prophet apostle but he has he's given all of those gifts to build up the church so that the church can do the work of the ministry it's not the job of the pastor or the prophet or the apostle or the teacher or the which one did i leave out evangelist it's not those guys job to do the work of the ministry it's their job to train the church to do the work of the ministry and to be honest with you probably for a great number of people i I almost look at that the way when i used to teach half of the parents came in and they were upset at me because i hadn't taught their son or daughter and i would look at them and as i got older i got more bold and I finally, to some of them, I just said, it's not my job to teach in the sense that you're looking at it. It's my job to present the instruction, but your child has to learn it. I can set the greatest table in the world, best food, best tasting, smells good, looks good. If you won't sit down and put pick up a fork and put it in your mouth, I can't, you're going to walk away hungry. Well, it's the same way with, with being a Christian, We have to pick up the fork and do that. That's what Paul's saying. He wants us to be empowered to grasp, and I love this next statement, what is the breadth, length, height, and depth. Those are Mounts' terms. In the New King James, it says, what is the width and length and depth and height. That's four linear um, units. Now here's the problem, and I know Paul, They, 1st century Christians, 1st century people were not as technically astute as we are, and they didn't have the scientific revelation that we have. Now, in some ways they had more revelation. I just read somewhere, saw it somewhere in the last day or two, the Romans actually had a formula for uh, concrete that when you make seawalls next to ocean water, salt water, their concrete gets stronger with time, where the modern concrete that we have with all of our scientific knowledge gets weaker over time when you expose it to salt water. It's the reason we have to dig up and, and destroy bridges worth millions and millions of dollars and redo them every 15 years because we put salt on them in Indiana, and it eats the concrete away and destroys the concrete if, we would use, if they could figure out how to make the Roman concrete, it would get stronger when you put salt on it. That would be a blessing, to have your bridges get stronger rather than weaker. But they did have enough, enough sense to know that there are only three physical dimensions. There's length, height, and width. We live in a three-dimensional world. Why did Paul put four? Well, this is strictly my opinion. I think he put four to tell us there is a supernatural dimension to what he wants us to know. He wants us to, there is a comprehension that we can learn this this supernatural um, dimension. Notice, in order that we may be empowered to grasp with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ. That's what we're trying to learn. And it's it's amazing, this know is the Greek word genoso. There are two different words that Paul uses for know, K-N-O-W. One is genoso, one is epinosis. The epinosis means a higher knowledge, a supernatural knowledge. Here he uses the word know in the sense of ordinary knowledge. He wants us to know on an ordinary level and an experiential level. He wants us to experience the supernatural love of Christ, which here again, it surpasses knowledge. This is not a a, a it, it it is a natural knowledge. It's an ex, something that we experience, but in experiencing it, it goes beyond just knowing it. There is a sense when you learn things that you can know it in a book book fashion, and then you there's something that you can experience, and it goes beyond just. I know about this, but I've experienced this, and it has become a part of my life, and it has changed me in profound ways. Um, I'm an amateur student of history, in particular World War II history. For some reason, I've always been fascinated with World War II. Now, I know a lot about the political, the, the military history of that time period. But I didn't fight in it. I have watched Band of Brothers. I know what that group of paratroopers went through. I saw it. I have a pretty good grasp of everything they did. But I didn't feel the cold in those woods during the Battle of the Bulge at Bastogne. They experienced that. They had a knowledge of that deeper than what I know. That's what Paul's talking about here. I want you to not just know about it because you've read about it in the Bible. I want this to become an experience that is just permeates your entire being, that you know this from experience. That, again, there's another reason that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. He wants, that, that is an incredible statement, that we can be filled to all the fullness of God. In, in the New King James, it says, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To think that me, a, a fallen human being, I've been reborn, been made brand new. I'm righteous because of Jesus's righteousness. But I can be filled—not not only filled with the fullness of God, but experience that fullness. That is an incredible statement. And I'll be honest with you: I don't know that I've ever experienced. I had tremendous experiences in the in the the, the knowledge of God and being under the anointing and being in the presence of God, but to say that I've been filled with the fullness of God, I don't, I don't think I've even gotten close. I don't think you can do that. I, I do know that probably the greatest experience there were two there's two times I've heard in my mind I heard the audible voice of God one was when I was 17 and he called me to preach I'll never I mean that was a day that's so vivid in my mind I still can see the little church I was in I can see the pew I I have detailed remembrance of that event and then the day I just described a little while ago when I was sitting on my bed trying to figure out how I could not make a mess of my suicide and you know, either leave myself a vegetable or leave a huge, horrible mess for my family to find. I wanted to get it done well so I was dead, but still leave a good looking corpse so my family wouldn't have to deal with a horrible looking corpse. I know that sounds silly, but that was where my thinking was. When God spoke to me that night, it changed me profoundly. I mean, daylight to dark. It was like a switch flipped in my brain that I had one minute I didn't have hope, the next minute I had hope. And that made all the difference in the world. There is no worse experience in life than to be hopeless. To me, and I've experienced a lot of horrible situations, being hopeless is the worst situation I've ever faced. Now, this brings us to the close, and I'm, I'm going to cover these real quickly because we're almost out of time. This close is this last um, two verses, which is kind of a, a benediction. Because Paul, and, and let me throw this in, in all of Paul's writings, he always follows this pattern the, the first approximate, first half of the letters that he writes are in Christ truths. These are the things that God in Christ has provided you with. And then in the second half of the letter, he said, because of all of this, these things that Jesus has done for you, now this is how you ought to live. He gets into the practical part. And he's about to start that in chapter 4. So he gives a little benediction here at the end of of this passage. And he says, Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Wow, there is so much there, and I'm going to cover it extremely quickly. Let me give you one little hint he says now to the one who is able to do more notice this more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or imagine king new king james says exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think i i look at it this way typical 18 wheeler out here the truck the engines in those big semis average truck will have about a 700 horsepower um, rated engine in it. That means that Dr. Watt, back in the 1800s, measured how much work, it's a measurement of work, how much work a horse could do in a minute. So that engine can do the equivalent of what 700 horses would do every minute. Now, If you look at the sun, according to science, the sun's about, and I'm going to use round figures here, these are not exact, but the sun is about 5 billion years old, and it will burn for another 5 billion years. Every second, the sun gives off 5 with 23 zeros, I don't even know that number, that much horsepower off gives that much energy and horsepower, five with 23 zeros every second. And the sun will burn approximately 8 billion years. So if it's given, away, given off that much horsepower every second and it's burning, going to burn from the moment it lit off to at the end of its life, 8 billion years, if you take all of that energy Total, I can't even imagine what that number is. That is how much Paul's saying here when he says far more abundantly, exceedingly abundantly above. It's comparing all of the energy that the sun will put out over its entire lifespan to what a truck does in one minute. not even close. The sun has such an overwhelming ability to put out energy and do work. That energy can be converted to work. So much more than what that truck is. That's how much God is able to do for us compared to what we can actually tap into. It's exceedingly, abundantly, above anything we can ask or think. I can ask for some big things. I have asked for some big things. I've thought about even bigger things to do. That doesn't even begin to tax what God has put in us. Notice, it's according to the power that is working right now in us. And sometimes we look and think, I just don't know that I can do what God's called me to do. And he's saying, guys, all you need is a semi's worth of, inner, or worth of work and energy to get the job done. And I've given you enough energy to match what the sun will put out in its entire 8 billion year lifespan. And you're worried about, do I have enough power? It's not the power. It's us stepping out and being rooted and grounded in his love, having the right motivation, working to be faithful, and depending on him to do what needs to be done. And that's then just being faithful to walk it out. Then notice verse 21. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. This is an eternal promise. God God has put enough power in us. Remember, our ultimate aim, he said there in verse 10, was to intend that that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. That's what our call is all about. That's why he's put all of this power, this exceedingly, abundantly above belief power in us that's working in us now so that we can go out and just destroy the works of the devil and see people come into the knowledge of who Christ is. And yet, I'll be honest with you, and I'll say this for my own life, I spend most of my time majoring on minor things in my life and worrying about where i'm going to come up the money to get the refrigerator fixed or you know right now you know financially i'm looking at my car's just about shot it's every day i get in and it's like lord is it going to start today it's just it's lived its lifespan and i'm i'm looking at new cars different car by new i don't mean brand new but i'm talking at different cars and i'm thinking about how am i going to work that in my budget my budget's already stretched to the max how do i work that out and god i know is looking down here saying i have put enough power in you enough ability will you just believe me when i say that i will supply all your need according to my riches and glory that promises for you john and yet you've i've got bigger fish for you to fry and yet you're worried about just a few bucks to get a car, to just get you places. And I've got revelations for you that will revolutionize people's lives. And you're worried about this little thing. You're worried about money. And I got this calling. And I'm thinking, oh, God, forgive me. (laughs) I'm falling so short of this glory that you've put that's going to last for eternity. And it's in me now. It, it makes you look so, feel so insignificant. In one way, it makes me feel very special. I've got all this power, I've got all of this, this, these things that He's given me access to and put all of this in me. And yet, am I putting any of it to work? And I guess that's my prayer for myself as well as for you. When I compare what God's call is, what his ability that he's put in us with how we're using it. It's like, oh my Lord, will we ever grow up? And then I have to run right back to what I said to that person today when I communicated with them. Look, God's not looking for perfect people. If he was, he he would have never, when Adam sinned, he just would have said, forget it, I'm starting all over. Just wipe the whole universe out. Let's make a new one because this one ain't going to work. Because he's never had the perfect person from from the fall of Adam and Eve to today. And he doesn't expect us to live perfect lives. He just expects us to start believing him. And when we fall flat on our face or just lay down, he says, okay, get up, move on. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana. Or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.